And our challenge is to have a curriculum that's sufficiently traditional to be credible, but sufficiently innovative to justify our existence. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from very sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from... uh Unusually sunny uh, Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites and uh, another blog called Media Law and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And today's show, Bob, is sponsored by Clio, web-based practice management at goclio.com and Landy Insurance at landy.com. Well, it's about that time of year now that Labor Day is passed and behind us where law students are heading back to law school. They're returning to school, and many students are facing a new curriculum, a large workload, and the hefty price of tuition. But here in sunny Irvine, California, the University of California at Irvine School of Law stands out with a brand new agenda, creating a hands-on approach to law school and concentration in public service and, surprisingly, free tuition for their inaugural class through donations that have been gathered from members of the community. The new uh, UCI Law School opened its doors on August 19th to its inaugural class of 60 students. Uh, They started their orientation and began to experience their first year of law school. Today, we're going to uh, have an opportunity to talk with the dean of the new law school as about his approach to legal education, uh, about the students and faculty, and about what lies ahead. Uh, We'll follow, uh, we'll hear from him in just a moment. Well, Bob, we're going to welcome back Dean Erwin Chemerinsky, founding dean and distinguished professor at the University of California, Irvine School of Law. Dean Chemerinsky frequently argues appellate cases, including some in the United States Supreme Court and the United States Courts of Appeals and also regularly serves as a commentator on legal issues for national and local media and is a frequent guest of the Lawyer to Lawyer show here. Welcome back, Dean Chemerinsky. It's such a pleasure to talk with you again. Well, we really want to start out congratulating you on opening of the UCI Law School. It's such an accomplishment. Um, Tell us how how it's been for you. It's really been thrilling. It's the most exciting thing that I've ever been part of. We began classes on August 24th. As you mentioned, orientation started on August 19th. We have 18 full-time faculty. We have exactly our goal of 60 students. And we're now in the third week of classes, so we're well underway. Uh, Erwin, this school has been much much touted as as, uh, an example, uh, perhaps as as leading the curve uh, in terms of innovating uh, legal education. What, what are you trying to do here that, that isn't being done at other law schools? I don't know what your experience was, but I surely did not graduate from law school ready to practice law. My first job was a trial attorney at the United States Department of Justice in Washington, D.C. And on my first day, my supervisor said to me that the answer to the question could be found in the local rules of the federal district. I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't know there were local rules to a federal district. I think that Law schools exist, above all, 
to prepare students for the practice of law. And so what we've tried to do is to rethink the curriculum, the very nature of law school, to say, how can we best prepare our students for the practice of law at the highest levels of the profession? What kinds of things are different about the approach that UCI is taking to law school than most of us have experienced uh, as we've gone through school? Well, our first year curriculum is very different. We have as a core part of the first year a two-semester, six-unit course in lawyering skills. And we focused on at the beginning of our discussions, what are the skills that all lawyers need to use? Negotiations. It doesn't matter if somebody's litigator or transactional lawyer. They have to negotiate. So let's teach negotiation in the first year. Interviewing. Every lawyer has to interview, whether it's witnesses or prospective clients. Let's teach those skills. And we've reached an agreement with the Legal Aid Society of Orange County, the Public Law Center of Orange County, and also the Orange County Public Defender, that they'll allow our first-year students to come do intake interviews of clients in the spring semester, their first year. So I think we'll be not the only one of the few law schools in the country that has first-year students with contact with real clients. We're going to teach fact investigation as part of this course, as well as, of course, legal writing and research. Another feature of the first year is we have a year-long course in the legal profession. Now, this will teach, of course, professional ethics and professional responsibility. They'll teach about professionalism. But we also want to teach about the economics of the profession, the psychology of the profession. Every student is paired with an experienced lawyer and mentor and has to spend at least 25 hours of the course of the year just following the lawyer around to get a better sense of what lawyers really do. The rest of the first-year curriculum is organized around methods of analysis. Everyone always says that law school is about teaching you to think like a lawyer, so let's focus the curriculum that way. In the fall, there'll be a course on statutory analysis. We'll use criminal law as the basis for it. We're going to teach statutory analysis. We're going to have a course on common law analysis, private ordering, primarily contracts, but some property. We'll teach procedural analysis. In the spring, we're going to teach constitutional analysis, international legal analysis, and common law analysis, which is about government ordering, primarily towards. One more example We've required that all our students for graduation have to complete a one- or two-semester clinical course where they're going to have to work in a clinic serving the needs of actual clients. We'll be one of the few law schools in the country that require a clinic for graduation. Well, tell us a little bit about the students. I mean, I've had the pleasure myself of meeting a number of the law students, and and I know what you're going to say, that it's a phenomenal bunch of people, but uh, go ahead and let us know. It is. Um, we received 2,743 applications, of which we accepted 110. And by taking just 4%, it actually made us the most selective law school in the country. Um, of those 110, 60 accepted, which is really amazing because you never know how many to take to get your goal. And our goal was 60. We never hit, went to a waiting list or anything like that. We just did exactly on the mark. Um, they went to, I think, 41 different colleges and universities. Over 50% went to college outside California. Um, the traditional measures of an entering class in law school are median LSAT and median GPA. Our median LSAT is 167. Our median GPA is 3.61. And so that puts us in the top 15 in terms of median LSAT and GPA of all the entering classes at law schools across the country. Well, in addition to the student body, you've uh, been noted to, to have attracted quite uh, an esteemed faculty. Uh, um, I think it was Brian Leiter who said that uh, 
based on the faculty and the student body you've attracted there so far, uh, you should be ranked among the nation's top 20 law schools. But, you know, in fact, you're a startup, you're an unaccredited law school. How do you get, a, you know, what's the lure of faculty to come there? What, what, why are they coming there and who have you brought there? Uh, the lure for them is what brought me here. This is the chance to create the ideal law school for the 21st century. Our largest asset is we're part of the University of California, and that automatically gives us credibility as well as resources. And what I did in recruiting the founding faculty was say, come, let's build our dream law school. And I was able to attract just wonderful people to be part of the founding faculty. Um, I won't list all 10 of them, but just to give some examples, um, Rachel Moran, who had spent 25 years teaching at University of California at Berkeley, she holds the esteemed position of president of the Association of American Law Schools as our founding faculty. Carrie Menkel Meadow, who had been at Georgetown the last 10 years, and for 20 years before that at UCLA. Two of my colleagues from Duke, Catherine Fisk and Trina Jones, came. Grace Connor from the University of Michigan. Carrie Hempel from the University of Southern California. And so this was able to show the world of legal academia as well as lawyers and judges, that we have a faculty that really is in the top 20. And this year we've added wonderful faculty to them. We've hired seven more faculty who have just begun, including Tony Reese, who is a chaired professor at the University of Texas who specializes in intellectual property law. Chris Tomlins, one of the legal experts in American legal history from Northwestern and the American Bar Foundation, and so on. It really is about our being a top law school from the beginning. What do you think that... Uh the students are going to be facing when they get out. What type of, you know, we have a rough economy right now. There's a lot of law firms that have hiring freezes. Uh, Where are these law students going to be three years from now? Well, our students, this particular class, has a tremendous advantage to go in the job market. As you mentioned, we were successful in raising a full scholarship for all students in our class for the three years of law school. So our students will have no debt by virtue of their law school tuition. They may still have debt from college or from living expenses, but all of our 60 students will go for all three years of law school without needing to pay tuition. That will give them tremendous flexibility. And so my hope is that more of them will go into government or public interest or public service. But, of course, we also want to facilitate those who wish to go into private practice, whether it's big firms or medium-sized or small firms. One asset that we have in that regard as you know, Craig, is the tremendous support of the Orange County legal community. The scholarships that we raised primarily came from the Orange County legal community. And so many firms in Orange County have said that they'll consider our students and even plan on hiring our students. Um, just this morning, I had breakfast with lawyers from one law firm, and they said they're planning on coming and interviewing our first-year students and planning on hiring at least one first-year student for this summer. So my hope is, for so many reasons, that the economy vastly improved by the time we graduate our first students. But I'm confident that this group of students will do very well in the job market. Erwin, you were, of course, hire, famously hired and then, uh, I guess, fired and then rehired to be dean of this new law school all, all in a very short span. But you've, it, you've then had, uh, what, maybe two years to, to get this school going and get it launched. What, what goes into launching a law school? What's the experience been like for you? As I said, it's been the most thrilling thing that I've ever been part of. And you're right, it is almost two years ago exactly that I was hired, fired, and rehired. It was um, September 17th, I think, that I accepted the position again, and it was formally announced. 
Um, and it's been an amazing ride for the last two years. I think one of the most important things that will never show up in any rankings, but is crucial to who we are, are the superb administrators we've been able to get. So, for example, we've, as our assistant dean for development, have Charles Cannon, who spent 19 years at UCLA Law School. As our assistant dean for student services and our director of admissions, we have Victoria Ortiz, who spent 10 years as the assistant dean at the University of California at Berkeley. As our assistant dean for communications, we have Rex Bossett, who had been the editor-in-chief of the National Law Journal. As our assistant dean for administration and finance, we have Rebecca Avila, who spent eight years as the senior associate dean at the Annenberg School of Communication. So we have terrific, experienced administrators, and that makes all the difference. Our director of the law library, Beatrice Tice, came from the University of Toronto, one of the preeminent law schools there. She got a law degree at Stanford, a librarian degree at University of Washington. And then our next level of administrators are just as good. Veronica Wilson, who's our director of financial aid, came after 20 years at UCLA. Mary Keller Jones, our registrar, came from having been in that role at the University of California at Berkeley. And I could go on, but hopefully it gives you a sense of to me, one of the most important things that I needed to do in getting the law school going was we have a great set of administrators in that we have. The next step was recruiting the founding faculty, and then the next group of faculty, and then it was recruiting the first group of students. And now what we're doing is focusing on next year, raising scholarships for our second class of students, getting ready for the admissions process for the second group of students, preparing to recruit the next group of faculty. And also we're converting a building into a law school and it's just great shape, but now we've got to start planning the next phase of the conversion. Well, what about the the curriculum design? I mean, you knew going into this that you, you wanted to rethink the way uh, law is taught, but how did you go about that? I mean, it, how did you come up with a plan for how you were going to teach it? How did you decide what to throw out, what to add in? That was a faculty decision, and we began it right at the start of last year when the founding faculty arrived in August of 2008. And I said, we have an entire year. There's no need to rush. And our challenge is to have a curriculum that's sufficiently traditional to be credible, but sufficiently innovative to justify our existence. If we simply copied other curriculum, I think we would have failed. There isn't a need for another law school like all the rest, but nor should we do innovation just for the sake of innovation. So I asked the faculty to start at the first meeting by identifying the skills that we believe that law students should gain beginning in the first year of law school and then throughout law school. I said, let's not start talking about do we want contracts to be one semester, two semesters, or should constitutional law be in the first year or the second year? That's not curricular for me. I said, let's start by making the list of skills that we want our students to know. And we spent an entire meeting just talking about the skills and then from there, we talked about how do we want to teach these skills and what knowledge we want students to get and how are we going to impart that in the students. And then over the course of a large number of meetings between last August and really through January, we designed the first-year curriculum. It was the best set of faculty meetings I was ever part of. You have um, also a fairly – you have a great building, even though it's just there for uh, on a temporary basis, uh, or you're occupying the building on a temporary basis. Tell us about the facilities that you've gotten about the law library. The university gave us an existing building and said we would convert it to a law school piece by piece as we needed it because we didn't, don't need 
to have 50 faculty offices when we have only 18 faculty. We don't need to have enough classrooms to begin with, as we will when we have 600 students. And I should mention, our goal is to gradually increase to 200 students a class, or 600 students overall, and to have 50 full-time faculty. So the first thing we did was we built a suite of offices for the 10 faculty who arrived in July of 2008 and a conference room for them to meet in. Then the next thing we did was build an administrative suite for the administrators. Then the next thing that we did was construct the law library. And the library is the first two floors of one side of the building, and it's stunning. It's the, one of the most beautiful law libraries I've ever seen. And certainly, I think it'll be one of the most functional. I should mention that thanks to James Irvine Swindon and Joan Irvine Smith and the Irvine Museum, they've donated to us 24 brushstroke reproductions of California Impressionist art. And together with the furniture that's there and the windows, it's just stunning. Then we built seven more faculty offices. We've constructed three classrooms. And so that's the law school for the show. Student lounge has been completed. And then for next year, we're going to build a number more classrooms, more faculty offices. We're going to have our first trial courtroom built, um, and then so on with the development over the next few years. Um, we can stay in this building even we're at full size, though at some point, and I think it's close to 10 years down the road, I hope we'll have a new building to move into. Erwin, I assume you're going to seek to become accredited. We will. Under the rules, we apply for provisional accreditation in the spring of our first year. We are visited in the fall of our second year, which will be fall of 2010, next fall. And then we were voted on early in 2011. We are dotting every I. We are crossing every T. There's, of course, never guarantees, but we are being meticulously careful to do everything we need. Thankfully, the American Bar Association doesn't hide the ball on this. They make it much more like a recipe in a cookbook. They tell law schools exactly what they need to do, and we're doing it. And we've been told in writing by the California Bar that so long as we receive provisional accreditation before our students graduate, they can take the California Bar exam. Will your students be taking the baby bar? No, they do not need to take the baby bar. Um, we specifically received from the California Bar. In fact, um, I will read you from the letter. If the law school is provisionally approved by the ABA by the time it's first class graduate, the students receiving JD degrees will be found eligible to take the California Bar exam. So our students, assuming we get provisional accreditation, are in the same situation, say, with regard to the California Bar, as if they'd gone to USC, UCLA, Duke, Columbia, Harvard, wherever. And for our listeners who don't or are not from California, California, unlike a lot of other states, has a number of unaccredited law schools. And California, at the end of the first year, requires that students from unaccredited law schools take uh, what's known as the baby bar, to ensure that they can pass it and then move on to the second year. And if they don't pass it, they can't continue on in the second year. And thankfully, our students, assuming we get provisional accreditation before they graduate, and I'm very confident about that, that there's never guarantees, don't have to worry about that. I guess what I'm wondering with regard to accreditation is, is you know, there are other there are other law schools that are trying to innovate. There's a good article in the National Law Journal this week that talks about your school and about some others, including Washington and Lee, which is essentially dropping its its third year curriculum in favor of uh, a full year of practical experience. It, it, does the pursuit of accreditation in any way inhibit your ability to innovate? I mean, do you have to kind of toe the line to some extent? The ABA does not look to how traditional your curriculum is in deciding whether or not to accredit you. 
they will look to such things as student-faculty ratio. Well, we have 18 faculty this year for 60 students. We have the best student-faculty ratio by far of any law school in the country. They'll look to the professional credentials of the faculty to make sure we're hiring responsibly. There's no doubt if you look at our faculty, it is. They want to make sure that the students who are admitted have the capability to pass the bar and to go on to be lawyers. Our students are in the top 15 of entering classes in the country. They want to make sure that there are the resources to ensure the long-term financial stability of the law school. Well, we thankfully have a good endowment to start with. Um, it takes a better endowment than many accredited law schools, and it's going to grow and we have the commitment of the campus and the University of California. So when you look at the criteria that the ABA looks at, we should be in great shape. They look at facilities. They look at the library. And again, we're in great shape. Um, never guarantees, but we're going to do everything that's necessary to get accreditation. The one thing that they don't do very much is look at the specifics of the curriculum. There are requirements. There have to be a certain number of hours of instruction. And of course, we're doing that. Um, you have to have a upper-level writing requirement. We're doing that. There's a professional skills course. We're doing that. But other than that, the ABA does not limit innovation in law schools. Dean Chemerinsky, stay with us. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a moment to talk more about the new law school. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Protect your legal practice with Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency and feel confident that your professional liability insurance provides the best possible coverage for the best possible price. Whether you are establishing a new firm, adding an attorney to your team, or exploring new options for your existing firm, Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency can match your specific needs with experience unmatched in the industry. Visit us at www.landy.com for a convenient online application or call us at 800-336-5422 for prompt and personal attention. Your practice deserves the best. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by Dean Irwin Chemerinsky, who's the founding dean and distinguished professor at the University of California, Irvine School of Law. I know that um, it has been some 20 years, at least my entire career of practicing here in Orange County, California, that um, we in the community as lawyers have fought with uh, the regents in order to try and get a law school. What type of um, reaction has have you received from, I mean, you've told us in the beginning about um, a number of, you're meeting with some of the law firms, but overall, what kind of a reaction have you received from the local community uh, now that the law school is up and going? Overwhelmingly positive. As you said, and as you know so well, there's been a strong desire on behalf of the Orange County legal and business community to have a law school in Orange County at the University of California, Irvine. Um, and I mean, I think what's key is they really want a top 20 law school here. They really believe that the Orange County Legal and Business Committee will benefit from having a first-class, top-tier institution here. And it's not just talk. They've 
put money in to make sure that we could recruit top students, recruit top faculty and the like. Um, and the response has just been overwhelmingly positive. In fact, from all of Southern California, um, we were featured in a front-page story in the Los Angeles Times when we opened. We were the headline story in the Orange County Register. The Los Angeles Daily Journal and the San Francisco Daily Journal featured the law school on the front page the five days of our opening week of law school. And it's national attention as well. The ABA Journal ran a major national story about us. The California lawyer ran a major story about us. And they've all just been glowing. And so I think we could not have hoped for better support from the community. And now you've made it on Lawyer to Lawyer, which is the ultimate uh, pinnacle of media (laughs) attention. Absolutely. Well, and it's also, I don't know if you remember, about a year ago, February, about 18 months ago, you had me on to talk about the idea of the law school. And I say that word intentionally. It was an idea of a law school. When I think of how much has happened since we spoke last about the law school, now it's a reality. Now, as we speak, there are students sitting in class, there are students sitting in the library, there are faculty in their offices. Um, I have complaints to deal with. We're real. So so now that it's a reality, uh, and I, I understand you have immediate uh uh, tasks to attend to, such as uh, beginning to look at next year's class. But but what are your long range goals? Where do you where do you hope to see this go to? Well, my goal is that we will be a top twenty law school from the moment that we're ranked and be top twenty by any measure. My goal is that we provide an innovative legal education that's the best job of any law school in the country, and preparing students for the practice of law at the highest levels of the profession. I promised the chancellor and the provost that if they'd have me, I would stay for 10 years as dean, because I think it does have to be a 10-year plan. We're just beginning. We're in our infancy. We're three weeks old at this point. We have so far to go. We, you know, we have 18 faculty. We still need to hire 32 more faculty to get to goal of 50. We have 60 students. Well, we've got to get to 200 a class, 600 students. We've got a lot of facilities to develop, including, I think, down the road, a new building to build. So there's so many challenges ahead, but the ones thus far have been thrilling and just really couldn't have gone any better. What type of, uh, if there has been any, what kind of criticisms have you received? What, um, what are other law professors and other law deans and, and the general legal community around the country saying about the plan that's is now being put into play? Thankfully, most of the criticism is said behind my back, so I don't hear it. So I'm not sure I'm the best person to be able to answer that question. Certainly what's said publicly is when we announced the quality of our entering class and their median LSAT and median GPA, the response was, okay, they've done it once. Let's see them do it again, which I think is a fair point. When we hired our founding faculty, it was, okay, let's see them do it again. And we were able to do it again, and I believe we'll do the same with our students. Um, We've announced our innovative curriculum, and I think that some have legitimately said, are you just changing the labels, or are you really changing the substance of the courses? And it's now our burden to show it's not just altering titles. We're really changing the substance of the courses as well. But those are the questions that have been raised, and I think they're very legitimate questions for people to ask. One of the practical skills that lawyers need these days is familiarity with technology. Uh, how is the school preparing students to uh, work in, a, in an age of technology? We have a wonderful IT staff. didn't mention them. I was listing all of our great administrators. And as part of the lawyering skills class, the students are receiving instructions in technology. My hope is that they'll be in our upper-level curriculum courses to prepare them for that and also 
aspects of law office, whether it's in a private firm or public interest. Our students really need to know about law office management and also about the economics of the legal profession, something we want to start teaching from the very first year. There are a number of lawyers who, and I'm sure law students who listen to our uh, our podcast, for those who are listening and are thinking about applying to next year's classes, what kind of advice would you give? Well, whether you're applying to our school or any school, the most important factors that are looked to are always the LSAT and the GPA. Now, schools don't look only at the numbers, but all schools do look at the numbers. Also, it's important in any school to have strong academic letters of recommendation. Letters of recommendation from family friends, even prominent family friends, don't count. Letters of recommendation from politicians who don't know the person don't matter. Get very strong academic letters of recommendation. The personal statement really matters. Life experiences really matter. And all of these should go into a student presenting himself or herself in the strongest possible way to an admissions committee. You know, the, one of the things that you, you really didn't mention, the, some of the qualifications of the students, which kind of, when I first heard it, blew me away. If you could let us know what what your law students came in with, what kind of degrees and what kind of experience they had. Well, about 25% of our students have advanced degrees beyond just the bachelor's degree. Some, I know we have one who's an MD, some have PhDs, many have master's degrees in various fields. The average age of our class is 25, which is a bit older than the average age of most law schools. Most law schools, I would say about half have taken time between college and law school, and half are straight from college. I'd say we have a slightly higher percentage of taking time between college and law school, and they've done just a wide array of fascinating things. Well, Erwin, we are just about out of time. Uh, we always like to give our guests an opportunity to have the, the final word. So perhaps you'd like to wrap up with your closing thoughts about uh, about the school and uh, what we've been talking about sure. here today. Well, I want to thank both of you for having me on. It's always such a pleasure to talk with you and be on your program. I think that if people are interested in learning more about the law school, if I can mention the website is www.law.uci.edu. If people have ideas or suggestions for what we should do at the law school, we do have the virtue of a blank slate. They can get my email address right off of the website, and I'm always eager to get ideas and suggestions. Um, As I said to you at the beginning, by virtue of having a blank slate and being part of the University of California, we can really do innovative things to try to create the ideal law school. And I welcome any ideas and suggestions that you or your listeners have. Great. Well, Erwin, thank you so much for being on the show again. It's always a pleasure to have you as a guest. And uh, Bob, that pretty much does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And let me add my thanks to Erwin for being on the program and taking the time to talk to us today. And let me also add a mention that we are available in the iTunes store and the podcast library there. Thanks a lot for a great program. Thanks, uh, Professor Chemerinsky, Dean Chemerinsky. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.